Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can come to you no matter what's going on, Father. That we can be still and know that you're God. Father, I ask that you be with us as we look at your word this morning, Father, that we can apply it to our lives. Father, that uh, you speak to us this morning. Father, I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father, and that as we hear your word this morning, Father, that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we are doers of it as well. Thanks for today. Be with us in the time this morning. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. You know, as, uh, as a minister of the gospel, as an ordained pastor, it's one of my, the privileges that I have, I know Pastor Barry and Pastor Keith have as well, is to, is to be there uh, on wedding days, on the big day for these couples to officiate their weddings. It's always a wonderful opportunity to be part of such a, a special opportunity. One of the things that... Uh, uh, it's always interesting to me as, as couples come and we have their, their weddings uh, that uh, there's a time for, for myself and whoever else is officiating the wedding to do the homily, to, to give that, that final word of encouragement to the couples. And over the years, my, my homily has, has, has been similar to the couples. I, I talk about priorities, making sure that you have the right order of priorities. That's, that's what we'll be talking about this morning. And I tell them, listen, there's going to be lots of things on your heart, lots of things on your plate as you go throughout life, whether it's children or work or leisurely activities or physical health. And I say, make sure that you have the right priorities in life. Make sure you have God first as your top priority. Then you have a priority to your spouse, and then your children, then to yourself, and then so on and so on, whether it's leisurely activities, physical exercise, civic duty, things, things of that nature. And I say make sure you have the right order of priorities. As I looked at our passage this week as I've been studying, one of the things that I realized is that I feel actually feel somewhat convicted uh, because while that makes sense to have the right priorities, to stack your priorities in a certain order, Unfortunately, it's full of contradictions. It's uh, loaded with contradictions and may not be so logical. I, I actually thought about maybe I should call up all those couples and clarify what I actually said. Although, for any of you who've been at a wedding, I think the homily is one of the last things you remember. But where the clarification really comes is the fact that we can't achieve balance in our life with priorities by simply stacking them on top of one another, what that's commonly thought. For instance, I can't, we can't say God is 100%, we're going to give God 100%, and then to our spouse we're going to give 95%. And then to our children we're going to say, listen, we're going to give them 90%, and then to ourselves 85%. We can't achieve balance by stacking them on top of one another. No boss or supervisor of any company wants to hear you say, I love this job and I'm committed to it with 75% of my being. doesn't make sense. It's not possible to do so. One thing interesting about love and commitment is that when divided, it multiplies. It multiplies. For instance, if any of you have more than one child, you know this is the case. 
When you have your your firstborn, you love and are committed to that child 100% of your being. When you have a second child, you are also committed to them 100% of your being. It's not 50-50. If that were the case, if we stacked our priorities like that, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Every time my eldest child was in need, I would respond to them no matter what my second child needed. Or I wouldn't go to work because I didn't feel physically fit, because that wasn't a top priority. If your top priority is God and nothing else, then every time the church was open, you would be at one of those events. It doesn't make sense to have a sequential priority list. We love each person fully. We love our spouses fully. We love God fully. We are committed to our children fully. We're committed to doing good things in all areas of our life fully. Our health, our jobs, our civic duty, our communities. So the question might arise is, well, how do we still make God the center of our life? It's better as we look at this passage. Let me encourage you from the model that Jesus did to think of our priority to God as central to everything we do and then work outward from there. We have to make God center of everything we, we do and then work outwardly from there. Priority thinking is appropriate when we think of time. When we think of time. How do we deal with our time? You see, we're all given the same amount of time in the day, same amount of time in the year. Nobody's given more. Nobody's given less. So how do we appropriate our time? How do we balance that? Richard Swenson in his book called Margin, talking about having God the center and then balancing everything else around it, says, in 1865, the invention of the wristwatch occurred, and in 1879, the first electric light bulb was produced. It was the clock that broke up the day, the light bulb broke up the night. Humanity was flush with its presumed victory over nature's limitation, yet all victories have their associated costs. The clock and the light They gifted us with time, and then they stole it away. Why? Because we have so many things in our life that we have attention to. Now that we have clocks, we are are by the clock. We've got things to do, places to be. There's responsibilities. For those of you who have family with kids, you know they've got to be at this event or that event. You know that you have limited time if you're working. Hey, I want to have some leisurely time. I want to spend time with my spouse, my children. I want to have exercise. I want to have free time. I need to spend time with God. So how do you balance that? See, God understands we have responsibilities, and we have responsibilities to do those things. We have responsibilities to spend with our spouses, responsibilities to spend with our children, responsibilities here at church. We have responsibilities for work, our physical health. We, it, it, it pays us no due justice to spend so much time focusing on one and not another, though. We must be balanced in that. Why? Because perpetual devotion to what a person calls their business is only to be sustained by perpetual neglect of so many other things, says Robert Louis Stevenson. Let me give you a clear example of this. A, a while back, I was counseling with a couple who, wonderful couple, involved in almost every aspect of church that you can think of. Always at church, always doing stuff. Had wonderful children, always involved with their children, spending lots of time with their children. Physically fit, had, had a good balance of exercise and being physically fit, had a good balance of leisurely activities. The problem was is that their marriage was falling apart. 
And they came to me and said, I, we don't understand it. We're doing everything we can put, put. We're here all the time at church. We're spending all our time with our kids. We don't understand why our, why our marriage is falling apart. I, and, I, and, I tell, and I told them, listen, you are neglecting a responsibility that you have. Because you're putting too much time in so many other things. My encouragement was for them just to get away. Get a retreat. See, we live in a culture where we're just going to consume. We keep putting more in our lives. Jesus understood this. There was, there was, there was need for his time. People needed Jesus during this time. But he understood that everything centered around a relationship with his father. He spent time with his father. Is what he had to do important? Yes. Was the healings that he did important? Yes. Did he have responsibility to love for his family, the disciples, the people around them? Yes. Did he have responsibility to teach and train the disciples? Yes. Did he have a responsibility and a priority to eat and sleep? Yes, he did. But everything centered around a relationship with the Father. He made him the center. We're going to notice four actions from this passage this morning that Jesus did that I think we can apply to our own lives, our own families, when we think about prioritizing our time. The first action, if you have your Bibles or your service sheets, we're in Mark 1. Mark 1. The first action is that very, it says in verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house. Very early in the morning, the first thing he did was his first action. Still, while it was still dark, he got up and left the house. Very early in the morning, you have to understand, refers to the first watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. Now, this is not a big deal for many of you. You are early morning people. But it's a big deal when you look at the background of this passage of what you realize that Jesus did the day before. So if you have your Bibles, you look back at the background of this passage, we see in verse 21 that the day before was actually the Sabbath day. Verse 21 It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath day came, Jesus went into the synagogues and began to teach. So he started his day off teaching. In verse 23, it says, he drove out an evil spirit. Verse 27 says, the people were so amazed, and news about him him spread quickly over the whole region, it says in verse 28. And then in verse 29, it says, as soon as they left the synagogue, in some translations, it says, immediately after he left the synagogue, he went to Simon's Simon's house and healed his mother-in-law. And then the key verse is verse 32, which, which says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, drove out demons. You see, the people came after sunset because it was the Sabbath. The Sabbath went from Friday night at 6 p.m. to Saturday night at 6 p.m. And the law forbid people to travel on the Sabbath. So that's why it says after sun, at sunset they came. They all came to the door. The whole town gathered. So you may be saying, well, what, what is your point, Jared? Well, we understand that the, at Capernaum there was about 1,500 people. If news spread to the, to the neighboring towns, we know that near, nearby Magdala had an estimated 40,000 people. So at 6 p.m. the night before, we have thousands of people at the door for Jesus to heal. He didn't even start to work 
until the evening. And then he still gets up the next morning because everything's centered around the relationship with his father. You see, some folks will, will say to me, Jared, you know, I'm just too busy. I'm just too tired. I don't have enough time for Jesus. I don't have enough time to do that. And I think it's a clear model here that Jesus made time. It was the center of everything that he did. Matthew 6, says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be gathered to you. Given to you. Seek first his kingdom. Jesus understood he needed to seek first his father. That's why C.S. Lewis said, put first things first and we get second things thrown in. Put second things first and we lose, lose both first and second things altogether. Some of us are putting second things first. Other responsibilities, other priorities, other things that we need to do. His first action is he got up, he made time. What's the second action? We see in verse 32, he says, it went off to a solitary place. Jesus got away from the distractions. Got away from the distractions. Some of us have a hard time getting away from distractions. I know I talk to people all the time. There's issues that people are dealing with in life, and I say, are you praying about it? They say, yes, what are you hearing? I don't know, I'm not, Jesus isn't talking to me. Well, when are you praying? Well, I'm praying on the way to work. Usually I'm on the phone or listening to the radio as I go, and I'm just not hearing anything. And I say, you have too many things going on. You want to hear the voice of God in your life, you need to get away from the distractions. Jesus understood this. There was a lot of distractions for Jesus. We see the Pharisees looking for Jesus because they were, they were seeking to accuse him and trap him. We'll see in, the, in uh, two chapters later that the Herodians were looking for Jesus as well because they were seeking to kill him. The disciples were looking for Jesus because they were seeking training and leadership and direction. And then you got the, all the people in all the towns looking for Jesus because they were seeking healing and deliverance. He had a lot of people talking, trying to talk to him. He had a lot of distractions, and he understood he had to get away. How much more so do we need to understand? We've got a lot of distractions. We need to take time. We need to get away. We need to take time. We need to get away. The busyness of life. Why? To hear the voice of God better. Why do we get away? To hear the voice of God better. That's point number one. I think a clear example of this is um, Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha, if you have your Bibles. Uh, Luke 10, Mary and Martha. Most of you remember this story. Jesus is at, um, Jesus is at um, Martha's house. And uh, Martha... Is, uh, is in the kitchen with all the preparations being made, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And if you remember, Martha gets very frustrated because she's doing all the preparations, and Mary's out there at the feet of Jesus. And what, is she, what, is, what does Martha say to Jesus? She comes up to him, Jesus, and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus responds, Martha, Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Mary has chosen what is better, to come to Jesus despite what's going on. 
Jesus acknowledges that Martha, listen, you do have some preparations to be made, but Mary has come to me first. That's the right and appropriate response. I understand you have things going on. I understand you have distractions. Maybe you're in here today and you have financial issues. Maybe you have marital issues. Maybe there's children issues. Maybe you have anxiety in your life. Maybe you aren't sure direction that you're supposed to go. You have things going on, but you know what? You got to come to Jesus first. I always think about this passage. I always think it's interesting that that Martha has the audacity to tell Jesus, don't you care, Jesus? Lord, don't you care that my sister has has left me to do the work myself? Don't you care that I've got these things going on? Martha, Jesus cares. And I'm telling you right now, no matter what's going on in your life, Jesus cares. He knows. He understands there's things in your life. But he still wants you to come to him first. Put him at the center of everything that you do. So we go to Jesus to hear the voice, to hear his voice better. We also go because he cares for us. We go because we express our hope and trust in him without the distractions going on. That's why Psalm 62 says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. Lamentations also echoes this. It says, The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to those who seek him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence. For the Lord has laid it on him. We do have things going on in our life. Issues that we need to bring to Jesus. We need to come and lay those at his feet. Without the distractions going on. We express our hope in him. We come to him to hear his voice. We also go to him to express our worship to God. You know, solitude isn't just about going up to some mountainside to pray. That's why we come together in church on Sunday mornings throughout the week. It gets us away from the distractions and busyness of life so we can focus on him, so we can praise him. That's why we do songs of praise in our service, because we're praising him for what's going on. Don't you think that if the night before that Jesus was healing and delivering thousands upon thousands of people, he wouldn't express thanks and praise to God? So many of us live lives where we're, we're, we're praying to him, but we're not worshiping him and thanking him for what's going on. We need to be doing that. We need to be making time for him. There are so many things that can go on, the busyness of life. I, I know that uh, I was talking to the youth ministry team just a little while ago here at our church. What a wonderful team it is. And I, I said how, you know, years ago, um, back in 98, 99, I was the youth pastor here. And I, I remember it was hard then, but it's got to be even harder now to get, to get kids and students to come out to various ministries here at the church to, to make time for God. Why? Because there's so many things on, on kids' lives nowadays and students where they have school activities and, and they have the sports that they have to go to and clubs they have to go to. And all those things are wonderful things. But oftentimes those things are over, things at church, things that fellowship and praise are overlooked because of other responsibilities we have. We need to be expressing our worship to God, coming together for fellowship. And we need to be seeking the will of God. That's how we hear God's voice moving. 
So what's the third action? The third action. So he gets away. He, he spends time with his father. He makes time. He gets away from the distractions. The third action is he prayed. Third action is he prayed. He says, got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. He didn't just get up and go away to relax. Some of us do this, don't we? We have so many things going on in life, and we have all these burdens in our life, and we say, you know what? We've heard this before. I just got to get away. And well, that's good. Those are good things. That's not always helpful because oftentimes we'll return to them. If you were here a few weeks ago, Dr. Dr. Bickle talked about the verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Is it permissible to get away and relax? Yeah. Is it beneficial for not coming to God with the stuff going on in our life and praising him? No. Not only did Jesus make time, not only did he get away from the distractions, but he actually talked to his father. It's not about just getting away. It's about taking time to pray. That's why Corey Tenboom said, don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord and keep it. A man is powerful on his knees. Jesus was powerful when he prayed. There are many times where the gospel records Jesus praying. One here is after a successful ministry in Capernaum. Mark 6 is after the miracle feeding 5,000. Mark 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his, his arrest, his trial and crucifixion. He prayed. He prayed. Jesus prayed to fulfill his mission and purpose. Mark 1, 38, as we see there. This is why I've come. See, prayer helps us refocus what we're doing here. Jesus had to focus on why God sent him into the world. It wasn't about healings. It wasn't about deliverance. He didn't come because he was a nice guy. He came to die. He came to spread the news. This is why I've come. And despite what's going on, despite what people are telling him, the disciples were looking for him. The people were looking for him. He said, that's not why I've come. So he prayed. Are you praying for direction in your own life? Not what you want to do, but what God needs you to do. Are you praying for that? And the fourth action goes into this. Is he, he moved based on that direction. He moved based on that direction. It says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also for this is why I've come. So he gets away. He prays and then he moves based on that prayer. There's so many times in life where we, we, we pray to God but we don't, we don't act on that prayer. We don't act on what he's telling us to do. Or we pray, God, I, I really, really want this. And God's saying, no, this is what you need. But no, 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 God, I'm praying. This is really what I want. And I say, you know what? Stop praying for what you always want. Pray that God gives you what you need. And then you've got to act on it. This came full circle for myself about a year ago. Uh, my wife, Deb, and I were, uh, this was last summer, were uh, called 
to, uh, we felt called, to um, be a senior pastor at a church in Cape May, New Jersey. We, uh, it was a church out there who were right on the beach. It was wonderful. And uh, they offered myself and uh, the position, and we were going to go out there. And we were going to preach, and they were going to have a vote, uh, although it was just a formality at that point. But Deb and I had this uneasiness for weeks prior. I mean, it was a, it was, it was a perfect place. It was on the beach. They were going to give us a house, church. It was wonderful. But an uneasiness. And we were praying, God, give us direction. Give us wisdom. We both felt that uneasiness. God, make it clear to us. We finally get out there. Felt very uneasy when we were at the church. We walk into the church building. And up on their wall, right in the atrium, there is a poster-sized picture of our family, framed. Deb and I felt this is not right. We should not be here. As much as we want this, we're not feeling it. So we prayed all night, God, give us direction, give us wisdom. We woke up, we didn't even sleep. The next morning, we both were laying there, and we said, how do you feel? I said, feel the same way. Shouldn't be here. Like, man, what are we doing? God, give us direction. And we're kicking down the door. God, we, I don't, why are you not revealing yourself to us? We don't feel like we should be here. And then it dawned on us, we shouldn't be there. So immediately we had to tell the committee, this is not God's will. This is not where we should be. As wonderful as it was, as much as we wanted that, it's not what we needed. God works in mighty ways. He brought us back here to the church where we've been at for 15 years, and it's, it's wonderful. Well, we wouldn't have known that. But we had to move based on what he was telling us after we spent time praying to him, free from any distractions. Jesus took time. He got away. He spent time. You know, I wonder about the disciples when they found Jesus. Everybody's looking for him. They're looking for him. And there he is praying, taking time out of his busy day after a long day before and out of a busy day ahead. And there he is spending time with the Father. I wonder... hmm, must have spoke volumes to them about his priorities. My question for you this morning is, what does it say to your family and the people around you about what your priorities are? How are you spending your time? If you have, if you have family with kids in your home, how do they see you spending your time? Where do your priorities lie? What does it say to them? And are you spending time with God away from the distractions to seek his will, to put your faith and trust in him and express your thanks to him? We've titled this sermon, The Family That Prays Together Stays Together. And there's truth in that. Why? Because a family who puts God first will be the ideal family. Why? Because they'll know their purpose in life. They'll know that the direction that they should go when tough decisions come up. And they'll have a peace in their life and in the life of their family, despite what's going on. So the family that prays together really does stay together. Because they seek first the kingdom and the righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So how are you doing with your priorities? Is God the center of everything that you do? In closing, one author wrote, here's how the psalmist began his day. 
In Psalm 5.3, every morning, says the psalmist, I tell you what I need and I wait for your answer. Spend time in the morning waiting on God. And at the end of the day, praise God for the good parts. Question him about the hard parts. Seek his mercy. Seek his strength. And as you close your eyes, take this assurance into your sleep. That Psalm 121, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And if you fall asleep as you pray, don't worry. What better place to doze off than the arms of your father? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for what you can teach us through your word. Father, I pray that we take the time to make you the center of our lives, Father, that we can get away from the distractions, Father, to seek your will and direction in our lives, Father, that we can give you the trust and hope we need despite what's going on around us and praise you for what you're doing in our lives, Father. Pray that as we do seek you, Father, as we do make you the center of everything that we do, Father, that we can also act, act on it as well. Father, pray that as we leave this place this morning, that we are not just hearers of the word, but we are doers of it. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.